Well, hello, teachers, and welcome back to another episode of the Teaching Middle School ELA podcast. Jessica is here. Hey, everybody. And we are both here with Michael Arterberry, who is a seasoned motivational speaker, and he's been motivating and inspiring and really changing the lives of teenagers and adults for many years. And we are very excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to get the opportunity to speak to you guys and your audience. For sure. Well, when you sent us an email and I just kind of read your bio and read information about you, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the perfect person to come onto the podcast to talk to us about, you know, our students and dealing with motivation issues and just kind of all of the, the things that are going to come up, I think, for our kids as we go back into school after kind of everything that's been going on in our world right now, you know? So yes. thank you. Very timely email. Okay. All right. I like that. I like that. Um, so we're kind of going to let you take the reins. If you want to tell us a little bit more about your story, your background, why you do what you do, um, and then we'll get into kind of the the meat of the episode and some of the strategies that teachers can take back to their classrooms from from you. Gotcha, gotcha. So, so I've been told I'm a good storyteller, so let me start by telling the story. And it's about a farmer and a donkey, okay? And this donkey is one of his favorite farm animals, because once he finishes working with the donkey on the farm, he brings the donkey back to his house and he allows his kids to play with him and, and wash him and do those things. So it was he's a, a work animal, but at the same time almost like a pet. So he brings them back home. They come out. They play with them. And this is like a normal ritual. One night he brings them home. They play. They wash them. Then he releases them out to the farm. But the following morning when he comes out and he whistles for him, the donkey doesn't show up. So he's like, wow. So he starts walking around the farm and he's whistling and calling his name. And he finally hears him at the bottom of an empty water well. So he goes over to the well. He looks in the well. And of course, he wants to get him out. So he get, goes and gets six of his friends and he brings them over to the well. He's like, yo, how are we going to get him out? They said, you know what? Let's get some rope and let's pull him out. So they all get some rope, and they start to lasso the donkey. They throw the rope down, they miss. They throw the rope down, they miss. They throw the rope down, they miss. Then finally they throw it by his hind legs. He steps into the rope. They shimmy it up his body, and they start to pull. They pull, the donkey moves. They pull, the donkey moves. They pull, the donkey moves. Then halfway up the well, they realize that the donkey's too heavy. So they lower him back to the bottom of the well. And now the farmer has to make a grim decision. You see, he can't feed him food from his family at the bottom of the well because that doesn't make sense. He can't starve him because if he starves him, you know, that's he's like a pet. So he's, he's, his head is all twisted. He doesn't know what to do. One of his hot-headed friends is like, hey, just shoot him. He's like, nah, that's violent. So one of his more reasonable friends said, listen, you don't want your kids to fall into the well. So what we're going to do is we're going to cover him with dirt. You're going to sacrifice your donkey, but your kids won't, will be safe. So the farmer says, I can deal with that. So they all get shovels, and they start shoveling the dirt. And every time the dirt hit the donkey, the donkey would scream. And every time he would scream, it would cause the farmer some distress. So you got dirt, scream, dirt, scream, dirt, scream. Then all of a sudden, the scream stopped. When the scream stopped, they gave the donkey a moment of silence. But then they went back to work. Dirt, 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 dirt. The next thing you know, you see the donkey's right ear. Dirt, dirt, dirt. The next thing you know, you see half his body. 
dirt, dirt, dirt. The next thing you know, that donkey walks right out of the well that he fell into. Now, check this out. Every time that dirt came across the wall, it would fall on the donkey's back. He would shake it off, and he would step on it. And he used every scoop of dirt that was meant to kill him to save his life. Now, I tell you that story because I am the donkey. I grew up in a home with a raging alcoholic father. And now when I say raging, I have to say raging because he raged from the time I was born until the time he died when I was 16. So growing up as a young boy, I could get caught up in fun and, and, and you know, the mysteries of being a youth. But something would always tap me on my shoulder and remind me that, you know, hey, buddy, you got to go home tonight. So growing up, I never really had, like, real peace. On top of that, both my parents worked full time. He was a bus driver. My mom uh, cleaned homes for a living, but his money went to drinking. My mom raised four kids with a housekeeping salary, so I grew up in poverty. You know what I'm saying? On top of poverty, as far as dysfunction, you got an alcoholic dad leading the house. I had older siblings, but they were being taught by the same alcoholic dad. Then you would be hopeful that my neighborhood would nurture me, but everybody in my neighborhood had the same house like I had. So you had the dysfunction feeding each other. So you had crime, you had addiction, you had guys going off to jail. And so, you know, the dysfunction was everywhere. But the silver lining to the story is the fact that I was able to go through all of that, come out with scars and wounds, but that is the catalyst and the foundation of why I want and I reach out to help other people. It like Powerful. makes me want to cry almost. You know, it's such a, a poignant story, I feel like, for kids to hear, especially when, you know, they feel like life is tough sometimes, you know, even relatively speaking, tough for one person is tough, different for somebody else, you know. Um, but for kids to know and hear that story, like, look, there is something else. There is a silver lining to maybe what your experience is and what your story is and what's making you who you are. That's very powerful. Yeah. And, and I use it, you know, and we're going to talk more about it. I run groups in, in high schools and middle schools. And before I start one of my groups off, off and I also do assemblies, I actually do a, a, a power, like a PowerPoint slideshow. And what I do is I show them the house that I grew up in. And I grew up in a house, there's boards on the window, you know, we didn't have uh, heat in the winter, but then I show them the raised ranch that I live in now. And I explain to them that, you know, you, 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 you can't, you can live in an environment, but you don't have to become the environment. So, you know, I let them know that the person speaking to them is, is a, a crack, crack pot but, um, you know, he, he got it together and he's doing his thing. So, yeah, and I think that ties beautifully into your point of, you know, how can kids be the driver of their car, right? Like you became the driver of your own car, like what you've, you know, done now with your life and who you are now and the great things that you do. Um, how does that relate to students, you know, being the drivers of their own cars? Well, you know, what I feel is if that we are products of our thought lives. And so that what I do with students is I, I I run them through some activities, and we'll talk about it, but the fact that, you know, affirmation and how you feel about yourself 
ties into how you reflect yourself to the world. And I explain that it's tough because on the human nature side, we don't like to think of ourselves in a positive way. It's a struggle. But then you have people that don't help you. You know, when I'm talking to students, you have your peers that don't help you, but then you have family members that may not help you, and it may go as deep as being a mother or a father. You know what I'm saying? And I explain to them that if you allow those people in your negative thoughts to control you, you are the passenger of your car and not the driver of your car. You see what I'm saying? And so mm-hmm. what I explain to them, you know, I tell them a story about, you know, my daughter was four years old and she came down. Um, my wife brought her down in my man cave. I'm watching football. And she came over to my chair and she got up in my lap and I played with her. And then she ran back over to my wife. And right before my wife picked her up, I said, good night, beautiful. And when I said that, she looked up at my wife and she started doing the happy dance. You know, and so I was like, oh, you know, I was happy. But because of the work I do, I looked at her and I said, what if I said good night, ugly? You know, it like hit me. Then I was like, what if when she came downstairs, now I, I say this to the students, when she came downstairs, I was like, hey, didn't I tell you about bringing her downstairs when I'm watching TV and this becomes the rhetoric that she hears day after day, four years old, five years old, six years old, seven years old, and I'll run the number up to whatever group I'm talking yeah. to. And then I'll ask the students, I'll say, hey guys, um, what do you think she looks like? And then the students would say, she's dark, she's depressed. You know, she doesn't really have friends. Then I ask, what is her relationship with boys? And they'll say, you know, well, um, either she likes them too much because she wants the attention because, you know, she doesn't get it from her dad, or she hates boys because you're a representation of of a boy or a man. And then once we say that, I say, you know what, guys, guess what? Who's driving a car? And they'll all say, wow, she's 14. I'm driving a car, 15 driving a car, 16 driving a car. She can go get married and have a husband still driving a car. Have a husband and a child, I'm still driving a car. Now, what I'm trying to explain to them is that I will drive her car until she decides to take back her keys. Mm -hmm. And what I explain to them is the fact that, listen, when we go through life, we step on landmines. And the landmines don't blow us up, but damage occurs. And what we start doing is we start to make decisions based on the damage rather than based on what's happening in real time. Mm-hmm. So that's a roundabout way of, that's what I mean by being the driver of your car. See, you get teenagers who are making decisions about something that happened to them when they were five and six years old. And so what I want to do is I want to re I want I want them to change their grid and start to say, you know, when that thought comes, if I allow it to go into my brain and plant itself, it'll germinate mm-hmm. and it'll grow. So I teach them that when a thought comes, you have the power to say I don't want that. Mm-hmm. And when you realize you can get rid of it just as well as keeping it, it starts to play into their, their their positive outlook of themselves and the world. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is even work as adults I could be doing. Absolutely. Right, 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 right. Well, I do, I do, 
the same with with adults, but we, you know, we we we, we helping your teachers out. Your teachers can do this as well. Yeah, right. So that's what I'm curious about, Michael. So you you mentioned to us earlier before we started recording, though, about you work with the teachers. You obviously work with students. What prompts like an administrator or a district to call you and say, okay? We want you to come to our school. We want you to talk to our kids. Like, what's that catalyst for saying we need your help? So, so it's mixed. So, I, I may get it where they're just looking to give their students an extra layer of guidance to be successful. But I hate to tell you the truth, as of lately and before the craziness that's happening in the world. I would be I would be called into districts because the inner city is now starting to expand and you got the inner city kids going to school with the suburban kids and those parents are not having it. So what you have is you have the racial tension in between the students. I get called in because when I call a group together, I get, I have a cross section. So part of my my requirement is that I have 30 kids but that 30 kids has to be made up of everything that's in your building. So I have white, black, Latino, honor roll, jock, mm-hmm. and I put them in the room and I run them through a two-day two day experiential experience so that we can start breaking down the barriers. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, I do a really beautiful activity with them called Concentric Circle. Um, this is something the teachers can do as well. But what I do is is I put them in an inside circle and an outside circle, right? Um, I give them five questions. Now, remember the group is, is multicultural, so you got to remember that when you're thinking of activity. And I give them five questions. Um, a person or people you respect and why you respect them. Qualities that you look for in a friend. Um, if you had the power to change something in the world, what would it be and why? A time you felt most hurt by someone you trusted. And the last one would be um, a time you lost someone you really cared about. So they're in the circle, five people they speak to, each person has one minute to talk about it, and I shift them. So imagine they come in the room that morning, we do some preliminary work, and then I rock them through this activity. Once they finish the five questions, Jess, I pull them out to the circle, and I just stop. And I ask them, I just got to chill because it's crazy. I say, do you feel it? And they all say it. The essence of the room totally changes. Now, it changes because when they came in the room and they looked around the circle, everybody was a face. They go through these five questions, and now each one of the faces become people. And what they realize, and the world needs to realize, that's what, you know, we should be out on the street doing concentric circles. But if (laughs) the world realize that if we treat each other like people rather than faces, the world would be a different place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What a beautiful exercise to do with students. I mean, how powerful for them. And it changes the, the climate, the culture of the school. They're bonded after that. And, and that's the tip of the iceberg. That's yeah. just that's just that's just like ten o'clock on day one. You know, <laughs> my my let, let me tell you something. The 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 workshops are two days. Um and this is my brainchild. I developed it. You know, I, I went to school for social work. I had that horrific childhood. 
Um, and then I, I, I was working for agencies where they kept giving me curriculums. Now, they would go online, buy the curriculum, don't know anything about curriculums, mm-hmm. give them to me, and then yell at me because it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what, I'm going to fix this. And so what I did is I created my own. And so the two days is because I don't want to rush, but I want to get to the root. So I take my time. And so each one of my activities slowly but surely peels back the layers. So by the time we get to day two, I mean, between teachers and students, they're, they're, they're you know, not to be uh, inappropriate. They're naked. I mean, they're, they're totally transparent, and we, we're doing some real work. That's amazing. I mean, I feel like as a teacher, for me, you know, I'm really good at teaching English. You know, I'm a great writing teacher, great English teacher, but I always struggled with like, how do I help my students more, you know, socially, emotionally, and, you know, discussing social justice issues and things like that. I, I always had a hard time, like, how do I orchestrate this for my kids to have it be meaningful and impactful and really have an influence in their lives? Um, to have you come into my school would have been such a blessing because I feel like I would have learned how to do that. You know, you never really taught that. Right. Right. And that's what happens with the teachers, you know, put it this way. You go through that group with a group of 30 students and you would never teach the same, you know, like I'll tell you a story. I had, um, I had at the end of the group, my last activity is I call it personal share. So you have to bring in an item that means a lot to you. So I tell them to go home, sit in your bedroom, grab that item that like is precious to you. So it's cool because people bring some really good things. And if you don't bring a, a item, you get to share a thought because it's personal share. So we got to this young lady. Now imagine a circle. So I have um, students, teachers. So we get to this young lady and she pulls out a picture of her and her dad. So we start getting the warm and fuzzy. But she tells us that he called two nights before to tell her that he wished he aborted her. And walked her through how he didn't want her. It, she shouldn't have. She, I mean, just the whole. But she's telling us this, right? Three three people over is a, another teacher, right? And he has a picture of his family on his lap. He's about to show it. And he's crying like a baby. Because he was about to show his Silver Spoon family, and he just heard this girl explain the life she had. And when we finally got to him, he said, I can't show it. And he got up, and he went over to the young lady, and he hugged her. And I know for a fact that when he left that room, he'll never stand in front of a classroom and teach the same because he needs to realize. And this is something you and I were talking about before. You have to realize who your audience is. You have to realize that, you know, I, I call it living a conscious life. You know, Caitlin, when you say you, 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 you teach the English, if you quiet your, 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 I call it your spirit. I'm a spiritual guy. But if you quiet your spirit enough, you'll catch the vibes. Sometimes you're forced as teachers for academics because you got so many things you have to get done because you'll get in trouble that you get caught up on the A, B, and Cs. But that's why my program is important because schools that call me in realize that a student can't do the academics if they 
if they if they they, they can't be there. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, they have to be able to be there for you to teach them one plus one and two plus two. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this is important all the time. Absolutely. But I'm just thinking this year, so many teachers are stressing about going back to school and this achievement gap among my students. They haven't been in the classroom all that, but it's like in the grand scheme of things, that doesn't matter. No, The kids are going to be fine. We need to care for these students. We need to check in on them. Are they okay at home? You know what? We don't know what these last six months have been like for them. And I just think you speak to like caring for the heart of a person and seeing who they are and helping them. And I mean, God, I I know people can't see us right now, but you have Caitlin and I tearing up. (laughs) I can't imagine the power of actually being in one of these concentric circles and going through your exercises. It's, I mean, it's blowing my mind. Well, you know, I had to finally figure out a tool. I can't measure that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I have a a pre and post test. And uh, Mm -hmm. for years I tried to go around getting funding and just, talk about the accolades but you can't but let me tell you something it's it's a powerful experience to the point where the kids in the school so I go in and uh, schools commit to about six groups all right and and they commit to six groups so that's six six groups of 30 five groups Mm -hmm. of 30 then I have a level two where I do it so they can come back as Mm co-facilitators but I say that because a student leaves the group they recruit for the first group, but they don't have to recruit for any other groups for the rest because kids leave. And they, what do you think they do? They go to their friend. And it's funny because their friends will say, well, what was it about? And they're like, I can't explain it. <laughs> but then you'll see a kid in the group. And, you know, if you got a dog, when a dog kind of twists his head and he looks at you, <laughs> the, the kid will look at me and I'm like, hey, what's the problem? And they'll say, you know what? This is what they were talking about. And they'll start to feel that feeling that you're talking about. And it's, it's you know, I, I, again, being a spiritual guy, I just thank God that he gave me the gifts mm-hmm. to be able to do it. You know, one of my dreams was to be a professional football player. I was an excellent football player. I played in college, um, tried out for a professional, and I carried that for many years. Oh, I didn't make it. I didn't make it. And one day I was at a light after one of my workshops and um, I fell into my thought and it was a workshop where it was really intense. The kids gave it up and the thought came to me, million dollar contract and what I just experienced in that room. And there's no money in the world, no money in the world, you know, I running a football and what I felt in that room, I was in the right place at the right time with no regrets. Yeah. And speaking of no regrets, that's one of the things that you teach your students as well when you go work with them. And I think that's such a powerful thing too. I mean, can you speak into that and how you teach our kids to to live with no regrets and to, to have that type of mindset as well? Yeah, you know, again, I'm a storyteller, so I tell them a story, <laughs> you know. Um, and it's about, uh, I saw a documentary on uh, a cable station. It was about a... a a young guy, he was a really good basketball player. So the documentary was to follow him until he went off to college. So they followed him. He lived in Brooklyn, New York, which was in the ghettos. Um, he was really good. And so he was so good. Matter of fact, uh, LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony, big names in the NBA, um, they were in the documentary. So imagine they were kids as well. And this guy was is better than both of them. Wow. So that's how good he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're following him. 
a woman realizes how good he is, takes him from his Brooklyn home, moves him out to the suburbs, put him in a mansion, let him bring like three of his friends to live there. He's in a prep school. He's flying back and forth to his special tournament games. He had the life. Mm -hmm. But it was around the time where you could go to the pros without going to Mm -hmm. college. Mm -hmm. So an agent approaches him. He signs for like $350,000 just to get with the agent, not understanding the scope of what he just did. Mm -hmm. And um, so the documentary follows. So he declares himself for the draft. Um, The documentary follows. He goes to a restaurant for the the draft. He's got his truck, the rims. He probably spent all the (laughs) $350,000. His three buddies got on all this stuff, and he doesn't get drafted. Mm. So now he signed the contract. He now is ineligible to go to college. Mm. So he ends up going to Europe, and Europe was never what he wanted. Mm -hmm. So the documentary fades. But when it comes back on, it's in the backwoods of North Carolina. And I see you see a guy with a hat on and a pot belly, and you're trying to figure out what's going on. It was him. Wow. And they finally found him. He came back from Europe. And he, he, he ended up not doing anything. Now, I walked him through that. They take him to Madison Square Garden. He sees Carmelo, who he mm-hmm, was playing mm-hmm. with. Um, but the part that I highlight is at the end, they do a cross screen. And it's his fat self, but he's talking to his young self. And he's telling his young self all the things that he should have did right. Mm. And so, of course, he had regrets. But what I drive home to my young people is the fact that you have to make decisions based on where you're going, and you have to be able to play them out rather than making them so quickly, you know. And then quickly, right from that, I'll ask a kid, you know, a kid in a group and say, you know, well, I want to play professional football. Now, I don't shoot that down, but then I'll say to them, listen, are you on a team? And then he'll say no. And then you're like, well, how you want to play professional football? You don't even play for the team. You know, so kids don't understand that, you know, you, your plan has to be consistent with what you're doing. You know, oh, I want to be a doctor. And I'll say, how are your grades? And then they look at me. I'm like, well, you're not going to be a doctor if you're failing classes. So, you know, we just, I try to get them geared up and focused on um, preparing, preparation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, One of the other things that we had talked about before we started recording was your book that you have for free for everybody, which I think is amazing. I know I'm going to go download it right after this and start reading it and right away because you're so inspiring to me just in the 35 minutes that we've been talking. Yes. I'm just thinking if you were telling these good of stories here, because I'm like enthralled with each of your stories. Like I can't wait to see the book. Totally. Um, So can you tell us more about your book for our teachers? I think it would be a great place for them to like meet you more and kind of get into what you do and see, you know, how they can go about bringing what you do into their own classrooms as well well the book is the book is is um 250 days of inspiration and motivation so it's it's uh it's almost devotional so it's not a lesson book um but what what will be nice for your listeners um is first and foremost i have an audio a audio version and my voice People like my voice. Totally. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I'm saying, so the audio version, it, when you hear me speak, to get the audio version is a plus. You know, you know what you're getting. But, <laughs> but the book is, um, the pages 
are are inspirational in the fact that you read it and you're like, wow, was he like in my brain like five minutes ago? Um, I've gone through so much in my life. Um, I spend quiet time every morning and 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 I I I write something and I put it on my Facebook page and that's what inspired me to write the book. Yeah. I was putting things on my Facebook page and a woman was dying of cancer. And she came into my messenger and she said, "Michael, if I could have all your stuff in one place, I would I would love it." So when she said that to me, I wrote the book. I wow. dedicated it to her. That's beautiful. Um, and so, so cool. the book, yeah. So the book is dedicated to her so that rather than coming to your Facebook page, you just open up a page mm-hmm. and read it. So it's, you know, it's a devotional um and that's what the book is about, but your your audience can get a free copy of the book if they go to shakethedirtexperience.com. Perfect. And I'll put yeah. that in the show notes for everybody listening as well. So you can just click, like if you're listening in iTunes, you can click on it there. Or if right. you're listening on our blog, you can click on uh, that link there and be taken to the place to sign up to get the book for free. Yes. Yes, definitely. Awesome. I'm excited about that. And then you also said that you have a 10-day challenge as well yes, called yes. Shake the Dirt. Yep. Shake the Dirt. See, that's good. Now I, I tell a donkey story so that when I hit it you with the shake it, it does. Yeah, you, no, when you first oh see it, you're like... What does shake the dirt mean? But anyway, yeah, my my 10-day challenge is just that. You know, what I just did in in the 35 minutes is, is, listen, we all need to self-reflect. And we need to go back and see what were those landmines. And so my 10-day challenge does exactly that for you. It's 10 days, you know, you go in, I have activities that will create the environment for you to think of where the landmines are. You know what I mean? And so I'm a firm believer that the better understanding that you have of your life, it gives you the opportunity to make better decisions moving forward. You know, adults start to feel like, oh, I'm too old. No, you're not too old. You know what I mean? You're never too old. You know, if you allow me to just share one more thing, you know, is my sister grew up in that same house as me, and she started going to counseling. She's 60, right? And she started going to counseling, and the counseling started feeling good. She was going, and she was getting stuff off her chest, but it was digging, finding the landmines, and she mm-hmm. calls me up, and she says, Michael, I'm not going anymore. And I'm like, sis, why aren't you going to go anymore? She says, listen, I've lived 60 years dealing with this stuff. She says, I don't want to go back and touch that stuff. And so I didn't fight her, but can you imagine if she's here 20, 30 more years, mm-hmm. the peace of mind she could have, the 30 extra, rather than carrying the 60. So I just say that because I don't want anyone to ever feel like you're too old to not change the, the, the direction of your life. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I feel like I've been spoken to, <laughs> like you were motivating me on such a, a deep level. You know, I feel like I have so much work to do listening Same. to you and <laughs> just so many yeah. areas of improvement in my own life. I mean, I so appreciate your message and what you're doing. So thank right. you so much. Yeah. What a gift to our listeners. I feel like it's going to be such a treat when they stumble across <laughs> this episode. So thank you. Thank you. Thank, well, thank you for having me. Of course. Is there any like last minute sage words of advice you would like to to share with us or with our listeners or a place that we can keep in contact with you? 
Yeah, yeah. I have one more. One more. I'm sorry. I may give you chills one more time. Awesome. But anyway. Here for it. No, no, no. On the third page of my book, so I'm going to give you a little treat. I wrote this. Short-term thinkers plant gardens. Long-term thinkers plant trees. Eternity-minded thinkers plant themselves in the souls of others. Mm. You know, um, and what I mean by that is this, and I'll leave your listeners with this, especially because they're teachers. What we need to focus on in life, and I said it before, is to live conscious. And not only conscious, as teachers, because you've got the little people in front of you. You have to live so that when people leave you, you leave them with like, hey, listen, who was that person? And that's how we need to structure our lives. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Is you want to leave that imprint with every interaction that you have with people. And if we're cognizant of that and we make that our mission, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. World will be a better place. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it will. Yes, it will. Well, thank you so much, Michael. It was really such a treat and such a special thing to have you come on the podcast. This is kind of a different topic than we normally talk about. You know, normally we're focused just on English, but like we were saying, you know, this is really the important stuff. This is really the important work as well, you know. Okay. All right. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> All right. Wow. Well, that was such an incredible episode. Right. I had chills at different I, points. I had tears listening. Was, yeah. I mean, to some of the stories he's just, um, amazing. And it made me feel just like as a, as a person in general, I have so much work to go do as well. And I can't Absolutely. wait to, to dive into that, you know? Um, so I want to let everybody know one more time before we go, just the link to grab his free book called be encouraged 250 days of motivation and encouragement. If you go to shake the dirt experience.com, that is free for you. And then he also has a 10 day challenge called shake the dirt during which he is going to help you learn and get to experience a lot of the topics that he discusses with teens and adults related to the work that he does. So you can access that at shake the dirt.com. So thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. This was a really special episode. It really was. I mean, it's giving us so many ideas. We were just sitting here talking about, like, how can we have him come do a training for our teachers in the EB Teachers Club? Because it's so powerful, his message, and just talking to him like we were and seeing him. It was just infectious, his passion. A beautiful experience. Yeah. 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 So anyways, with that said, you guys, thank you so much for joining us this week. And we will see you next week on the podcast. Have a good day, you guys.